So I would argue landing pages are more important than a general website. Um, you have to have social. I mean, as a brokerage, you have to be pushing out social content. Um, if you really want to get smart as an indie brokerage, you're going to have green room. You're going to have videographer on site because agents are going to want to push out content. And if you can make it simple for them. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 337 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, we're headed out to Las Vegas, Nevada to chat with Joe Herrera. Joe is one of the co-founders of the Joe Taylor Group. Uh, They are now powered by Real Broker LLC. We're going to have a great conversation with Joe about how we got into the business, some of the hardships he had to overcome, and how things are going today with the Joe Taylor Group. So let's get this thing started. Joe, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm super happy to have you here. We we have a mutual friend in Anthony Malafronte, and he's told me for a couple of weeks, eh, okay, a couple months now, you got to talk to Joe Herrera. You ha- So whenever I hear that from a friend, um, I've got another guest. It's great. So I, love um, I, I like to start at the beginning with every podcast episode I do. I'm sure the regular listeners go, there he goes again with that opening line. But I haven't had very many guests that live and work, and I think we're born in Las Vegas. Is Are all of those true? So I live and work in Vegas. I was actually born in Carson City, which is the capital of Nevada. Uh, my business partner, Taylor, was born in Panaca, which is a central Nevada uh, city. And my wife was actually born in Vegas. So oddly enough, we are, we are uh, born and bred Silver State, uh, battle-born, as we like to say, Nevadans. Nice. I have to, you got to ask the question, you know, obviously a lot of people, millions and millions of people every year come to your city (laughs) to, to gamble and carouse and drink. It's crazy. And and also look, if it's me, I don't do any of that. I love shows. (laughs) So so I'm going, I've seen every search show in Vegas, right? It's just, that's my, um, as, as a resident, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be a way of life that I would love to just hear how it works for you as opposed to everybody else who knows Vegas is this giant line of neon, uh, excess. <laughs> what is it like? Yeah. So we, we use the city when we want to. So we're Vegas, uh, golden Knights season ticket holders. So if we ever go down the strip, it's usually for that. Um, we've got agents that work for us that are in the Cirque shows. And so every once in a while we'll go catch a Cirque show. Uh, we've got friends, you know, the Imagine Dragons are, are family friends of ours. The Killers are, you know, family friends and, and clients of ours. So, like, you know, if they're putting on a concert, great. You know, uh, any given weekend, uh, we'll go to a, a Golden Knights game. And then, you know, my, my my wife and I took our youngest son to the Imagine Dragons Meanwhile, at Allegiant Stadium. Meanwhile, my kids were at a Laney concert at the Brooklyn Bowl. So, like Vegas, I mean, from an entertainment standpoint, is massive. Yeah. As a community, though, it's pretty rad. I think I think the Golden Knights did a lot to to make people see there's so much more to Vegas. You and I were talking, you know, before we started. It, the easiest way to think of Vegas is to think of Phoenix. And if you take away mm-hmm. the Strip, it's pretty much it's pretty much Chandler and, and Gilbert and Scottsdale. 
Summerlin is Scottsdale. I live in Gilbert. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and so it's, it's just a rad community where I live, horse properties, half acre lots, a lot of military, a lot of construction company owners is, is kind of my, my, my world, but, uh, great restaurants, um, our school system sucks, which is not a surprise because our mm. schools are paid for by our taxes and our taxes are paid for by the casinos. So that's always a fun thing. School system's not great, uh, but the community is, is, is great. Like, you know, kids activities, my, my daughter plays club volleyball. So anyways, it's a, it's a great place to live. If you're a foodie, if you like going to concerts and shows, the one thing it's not good for is if you have a massively addictive personality. So there's a lot of alcoholics. Um, for the most part, people are either compulsive gamblers or they do not gamble at all. But the number one thing that we have in Vegas, 365 days of golf. I'm a huge golfer. And so it's, it's awesome. I never have to decide whether or not I'm going to uh, play based on the weather. And so it's, you know, we play, we play golf in, in mid February and I, when it's 40 degrees and I play golf in mid August when it's 118 degrees. So we never, yeah. we never shut down our golf courses. Yeah. Like, a, you know, I know Anthony Malafrante, you know, we golf every week yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I grew up, I grew up in San Diego and lived in Phoenix. So golf, you're right. I've yeah. never lived in a place where golf was seasonal. I don't know what they're talking about, but uh, yeah, that's great. You talked about the, the addictive personality, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it, you're not talking about somebody who's just an alcoholic or just a, likes or has a problem with gambling. If you're anything in that environment is going to be bad, I would think. It's you're it's going to go down a path that's not going to be good if that's who you are and you don't have help. Is that true? I believe so. I think I'm an individual who has that type of personality. I, my wife would say I am an all or nothing person. Um, mm. So I've got a long family history of, of, of drug abuse. Um, you know, I never met my grandpa on my grandma's side or on my mom's side, even though he was rad. He was one of the early cartoonists for Disney. He was at the opening of Disneyland, uh, but he was an alcoholic and he left. So I think I channel it into, I probably play more golf than I should play. Um, I probably work more than I should work. And I probably am more uh, committed religious person than most people. So it's like, I've, I've channeled my, my obsessive personality into healthy uh, activities. But to your point, um, without help, if somebody falls into addictive traits here in Vegas, it'll, it'll, it'll chew you up pretty quick. So every once yeah, in a while, we run into people who are like, I could never live here. I would, I would destroy myself. And, and I just usually will tell people, well, the reality is, if you live in Vegas, you either participate or you don't. And if you do participate, it's a pretty slippery slope. Well, let's move away from that. Let's head off to, uh, I like to, I always like to find where people went to school. I think there's just, it's neat. Um, Another first for me. It's always great. I've, this is episode 337, and I've never got to say to somebody, you head off to BYU-Idaho. And <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I, I can't lie. I looked, at, I looked at the town it was in, and I, I'm, th- I'm just thinking, that was a small town, small city experience for college. Am I right? Yeah. I, I mean, it was awesome. So the game plan there was um, I barely graduated high school. My mom was a compulsive gambler. She left when I was 10. So I, I, getting into college, not only was not, a, a, I didn't have a ton of options, I didn't have a ton of desire. What I did have a ton mm-hmm. of desire to do was to hang out with my buddies and meet cute girls. And so uh, Rick's College at the time, now it's called BYU-Idaho, um, 
was a great environment for that. I, I shortly after that left on a two-year service mission for my church. So it was, it was formative for me. I didn't graduate from college. I had, uh, I had, you know, that, that one, that year I was up there. Um, I couldn't tell you what my GPA was, but I could probably name every cute girl that I went on a date with. And that was kind of my focus at the time. Uh, but Rexburg's not as cool little city up in, up in Idaho. Idaho Falls is probably the biggest recognizable city, if not Pocatello. But yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's freezing cold, but it was a great preparatory experience for me, you know, knowing that I was going to be gone for two years for many family and friends. It was nice to get up to an area where I kind of not became a man, but at least uh, had some had some time away from my family. Wow, that's interesting. Was real estate early in the game for you? Because if, if you're telling me it's the first thing you did when you got back, I would be shocked because usually there's something else in front. To be honest with you, so I got home and I had some family members that were selling cell phones out of, um, at the time, grocery stores would have a little kiosk and I went to work for T-Mobile or whoever it was at the time. Uh, so I sold cell phones and I, I hit a fork in the road because because I, what I really wanted to be was a personal injury attorney because I had some friends that were PI attorneys or their dads were and they crushed it. And, uh, you know, I, I love debate and I love hearing my own voice and all that fun stuff. I love marketing. So I think being a PI attorney would have been an attractive field for me. But looking down the road at eight years of college, higher education at the age of 21, I had zero desire. So the fork in the road I faced was insurance and real estate. Those were the two Mm -hmm. trades that I could get into using my mind and my mouth as opposed to my hands. And I could create, you know, income to provide for family. I met a girl, fell in love, wanted to get married. It was like, well, how would I provide for a potential family? I was attracted to insurance because of the residuality of it. Like the thought of working really hard and then getting to a position where you just get a check every month, no matter what you do, was attractive. The real estate side I was attracted to because one of my mentors uh, owned a real estate brokerage. And he was like, listen, you could go sell a house. And at the time, the median sales price in Vegas was probably $200,000. You go sell a house and make $6,000, which was just unheard of. So I got, you know, big eyes and I chose real estate. So it was about a year after returning from my missionary service, maybe not even that long. So I got okay. home in, in, in 2000 and got licensed in, in 01. So I was really young, 21 years old and, and started selling real estate. Did you start with a, a name brand brokerage with all the training and all that stuff? Or were you with a smaller operation? No, I did. I, I started at the time the company was called Prudential Americana. So it was a blending of two groups, Americana and Prudential Southwest. Uh, There was a a legend in Las Vegas named Frank Napoli. Uh, He took me under his wing. I drove limo for him while I was going to real estate. He was like such a cool real estate agent. He had his own limo. Uh, So I drove limo for him while going to real estate school. And I got my license. I remember it showed up the next day. I did what I knew best. And I went knocking doors. And the second or third door I knocked on, Somebody opened and I said, hi, my name's Joe. I'm a real estate agent. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just talking to all the neighbors to see if anyone's interested in selling their home. And the guy said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about selling. So that was my first real estate deal I ever did. I knocked, knocked my third door and got a listing. Um, so I was with Frank for probably six months. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't patient enough to be a buyer's agent for a long period of time. I probably would have learned a lot had I stayed a lot longer. But so I joined yeah. the Frank Napoli team at Prudential, was there about six months. And then I kind of went independent at Prudential for another six months or a year. 
And then I left and I was pretty much for the next eight years a Remax guy. Yeah, and Frank, but also Prudential was kind of known for a lot of training and sort of highly sort supportive. Of a, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Good. Remax, that's not their thing. Their thing is very much, you know, we're going to provide incredible brand, a lot of other things. Uh, but you had to kind of know what you're doing. So that, that makes that's a typical flow. But then you decide to go on your own, which is always cool. I'm sure that was a lot of fun, a lot of work. First of all, um, I love the name of the group. It's the Joe Taylor group. And I'm thinking, so who's Joe Taylor? Who's Joe working yeah. for named Joe Taylor? And then I realized your partner is Taylor and you're Joe. Right. So how'd you meet Taylor? Was it, and then how did you guys get together to form? I think it's, I think the brokerage you formed was called Love Local, right? Yeah. So Taylor in 2004 came to me and, and he was one of the nicest guys I knew. I knew him from church. He said, I'd like to become a real estate agent. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Come be a buyer's agent for me. So he was the first buyer's agent I ever hired. Um, after about six months, I was like, man, this guy's really talented. I enjoy working with him. We're similar enough to get along really well and different enough to kind of complement each other. So I said, you know, I proposed to him the idea, well, why don't we partner up? You take all the buyers, I'll take all the sellers. I said, rather than calling it the Herrera Prince Group, why don't we just call it the Joe Taylor Group? We'll run with that. It was a split decision we made in 2005 um, that's been with us now for 17 years. Uh, we were with Remax until 2010. Our Remax office sold to Better Homes and Gardens, which I thought was kind of a cool name and concept, but I didn't like the franchise fee they tried to put on us. So at the time, Taylor and I started a brokerage called Simply Vegas with a, a third partner, a guy named Gavin Ernstone, a luxury agent in Vegas. So Gavin and I and Taylor started Simply Vegas. We owned it for probably two years. And Gavin offered to buy us out. So we sold it. I started a tech company, not in the real estate space. Taylor mm. kept the Joe Taylor Group running. The tech company failed. And so in 2014, 15, I came back into the full-time practice of real estate. And then in 2016, we opened, Taylor and I opened a brokerage called the Love Local Real Estate. I love the name. I mean, it's uh, speaks volumes about what you guys do. If, if I went to your website, was digging around a little bit. I mean, the it's all about customer service for your group. I mean, it's it's all about the experience, right? Yeah, I mean, for us, the the purpose of Love Local was let us run our team, and then let us provide a cool opportunity where agents. At the time, uh, it was just a transaction fee, so pay a transaction fee be highly supported, have an, a beautiful office to come to. And that was the concept that was Love Local. Mm -hmm. And everything was great until early 2021, we got a buyout offer from a national franchise. They offered us $2.4 million or something like that. And they wanted to buy 51% of our brokerage. So it was like a 1.4 option. They were going to give us 400000 up front and a million dollar earn out or something. So we took it to our mentor, uh, a Keller Williams agent named Brett Tanner and said, hey, Brett, what do you think of this offer? And he said, well, if you're, if you're open to offers, why don't you take a look at Real Broker? And so this was early 2021. We started looking at Real, which we had been, we had been approached about joining EXP every, every month for five years in a row. Somebody would hit us up. And... Sure. Um, and I'm big fans of it. Um, you know, hindsight, six years ago, we should have joined EXP when we were first uh, approached it. We would have crushed it. 
So we saw in real the opportunity to rewind the clock a little bit. When we started looking at it, there was just under 2,000 agents in the ecosystem. So then June of 2021, we transitioned. We tried to maintain that culture that was Love Local. We transitioned our 90 agents from Love Local real estate into the national real broker ecosystem. And Love Local then kind of shut down. And now now we're the Joe Taylor Group brokered by real. Um, and and so we we no longer own the independent brokerage. Right. Yeah, I know um, Anthony joined Real. I think um, mm-hmm. had multiple conversations with you about it. You know, when he was trying to you know make a tough decision to leave a, a a local brokerage he'd been with for a long time. I'm sure you have lots of conversations like that with people where they're you know really they have roots. They feel like they have these roots and they just can't make that move. Um, mm-hmm. How do you and and you've had the same people come to you and try to do the same thing. You, you, you started your own company <laughs> with your baby. Yeah. Talk. I just want to talk about that for a little bit. What's that like? You mentioned it, you know, you like to talk, you like to debate, you're a salesperson, you know, at heart, which is good. How does that, how does that play out? Well, it's interesting. Um, I think it comes down to someone's open-mindedness when we were approached mm-hmm. in the past, what, I mean, and, I, and I'll just be full full disclosure with you. What turned us off on EXP in our local market was it seemed like the agents that were running to it were trying to run out of production. They really wanted to get into recruiting. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we've always been production over everything. And like a classic story that I love to tell is one of our agents that I've known forever, has never done a ton of business, had his license hanging with us, came to us and said, hey, guys, I'm going to EXP. And this is three, four years ago. We're like, hey, man, we wish you the best of luck, right? Comes back a week later and says, hey, can I talk to you guys? And I think he's coming back, right? And he came in and he said, all right, well, here's how it goes. Like, I'm at EXP. You name me as your sponsor and you bring your 100 agents over. And we're like, bro, you don't, you don't even sell real estate, right? So that was kind of our hesitancy to be open to the concept was we didn't have anybody doing big numbers, like doing a ton of production, approach it the way we chose to approach it with real broker. So when real came around and we started having conversations with people we've always maintained like if you like even with anthony it's like anthony if you if you want to come and roll with us we are we're a production company like the joe taylor group pushes units we close a thousand units a year we have no interest in getting out of the production of real estate what we want to do is we want to collaborate and help other people increase their production so this is not a game to get out of production. This is not come with us and become a recruiter. This is keep doing amazing business and let's find everybody else who also wants to keep doing amazing business. So a lot of our conversations, a lot of our conversations early on, full disclosure, when we joined Real with 90 agents, our goal was to get to 180 agents by June 2022. So it was like if we could double our agent count by building a network of collaboration, that would have been a success for us. What happened was like so far outside of our our wildest yeah. dreams yeah. we we started with 90 agents by this by june we were at 1200 agents in our network and now two or three months later we're at 1500 agents in our network like that was never part of the plan this all happened it was just a happy coincidence um but i think i think now is heading into 2023 i mean i think people are to your point um i think the market's a lot softer for, for movement um, than mm-hmm. it was and not soft, meaning not going to happen. I mean, everyone's reevaluating everything right now. Like people that have been with small indie brokerages are turning to their broker and going like, all right, crap, what do we do? Interest rates are seven and a half percent. 
And their small indie brokerage is going like, I have no freaking clue. I put on my Facebook page, the hottest topic I ever put on there. Saturday, I was driving home from lunch with my kids, thinking about our, our, our world, our investment business, our network, our retail business. And I just very simply put on Facebook, I'm so grateful to, to not be an indie brokerage owner anymore. Like I just, mm-hmm. I can't imagine heading, heading into 2023, owning a small brokerage tied to one market, tied to one office with all the expenditures and the overhead that comes with that and having to make ends meet. And so I had a lot of people like, amen, you know, then I had a few indie brokerage friends of mine, like, like, let's just work together. And we like rising tide rises all boats and stuff. And, and while I agree with that, I was speaking from a position of authenticity. Like I'm telling you right now, Bill, if we still own love local real estate, I would not be able to sleep. I would not be able to eat because our world was, Hey, our hundred agents, let's go close a thousand transactions. Well, this year we're 200 agents that may close a thousand transactions. So like we've doubled our agent count to maintain our, 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 our transaction count. Had we not moved to real, we would still be a hundred agents, but rather than closing a thousand transactions, we would have closed four or 500 transactions. So where would that, where would the 50% have come from? Would it come from our profitability? And so that's, that's an easier conversation now with people where they're like, Hey, we've had the last month has been nuts with teams and brokerage owners and, and indi- like independent producers going like, Hey man, like, what are you guys doing? Cause you seem to be happy. You seem to be engaged. You seem to be profitable and I'm struggling. Like, how can we, like, what do I need to do to get into your world? So now it's gone from, I don't even have to proactively reach out to people because so many people are reaching out to us. I mean, we're going to make seven figures this year in, in revenue share in our, our first full year at real. Like that's crazy. And so we're having people go like, Hey, how do I get involved in something like that? So it's, it's a much easier conversation now than it was a year and a half ago. You know, real estate's gone through some like major sea changes, right? You had re, uh, you'll so we'll start with Remax in 73, right? That was, there were other hundred percent shops and other things, but they were, they, they changed that. They were like the, the, the thing. And then Gary Keller comes in and decides there's a way to do some uh, profit sharing, right? Re- tied to right. market centers, which was fairly revolutionary. And then I, you know, even though there were other, other uh, companies that had some other forms of, of revenue sharing, it wasn't until Glenn Sanford kind of figured it out. It feels like, and EXP launches in 09, but doesn't really take off till I don't know, almost feels like 10 years later, right? Or eight years right, later. Right. It seems like that's the next big change. That's the one we're going to be talking about in 10 or 15 years. That thing got that movement away from brick and mortar and away from uh, the old school way of running a real estate business changed. Is that, do you feel that's going to be, we're going to be doing that? If companies like Real and EXP can really crack the profitability code, then yes. Right. So the issue is, you know, Glenn Tamir, who's our CEO, that mm-hmm. there's no doubt that for growth, the easiest way to grow is to give agents stock ownership and revenue share. The challenge with it is when somebody pays their cap to Real or, you know, their 12K to Real or 16K to EXP, that gets distributed to the agents who brought them into the company. So with real, it's, it's, you know, you're the five generations of the EXP at seven generations. So then once somebody caps, they start paying transaction fees and now the company starts making money. So the idea for both EXP and real 
is ancillary products and, and you know, title, mortgage is, is a path to profitability. There is no doubt from an agent's perspective, agents <laughs> either resist out of stubbornness like I did for five years or open their mind and see, okay, being at a brokerage where I pay my broker $10,000 every year and get nothing in return for all my friends that I brought over is not as good as being at a brokerage where I pay $10,000, $12,000 to a company and then the 10 people I brought on pay me 100000 So now my net cost for being at the company is they pay me $88,000. There's no way that's not the best option for agents. The issue is, can you do that and be profitable? And so I know, yeah. you know, re- real EXP, that the, the whole conversation is always around profitability. How can the company make money while all of its agents are, are, are crushing it? Not all of, but the agents that get in early are crushing it with agent attraction revenue share. So I'll tell you, for me, going from 90 agents at Love Local, who I would show up and Taylor and I were their broker owners, and every time I would show up with a new car, there was this like, we bought you that car type mentality to showing up now. And as soon as I walk in my office, one of my agents is grabbing me like, hey, I want to talk to you about my, my friend. I, I'm bringing them over to the company. They're going to be amazing, blah, blah, blah. Because now that agent views themselves as my partner and not my yeah. employee. It's completely yeah. revolutionary. So it's like, it's a no brainer from that standpoint, as long as the company can can pr- be profitable. And the other uh, the other obstacle is, how do you get enough local support so that guys like me are the, we are the unicorns. So it's not about me. It's about the brand new agent or the agent who does eight deals a year that really needs help to get to 10 or 15. Is there enough yeah. local support? Because as much as the academy that Real is built out or the virtual campus that EXP has are great educational tools, there still is something about like we kept our brick and mortar building. Because in Vegas, we, we went from 90 agents to 200, our agents want to walk in and say, hey, Joe, can I pick your brain for a second? And so right. I, th- as long as you can get the, the local support and the profitability, then there's no doubt 10 years from now, uh, the story is all companies like EXP and Real. Let's talk about tech, right? <laughs> I mean, you're a very techie yeah. guy. I'm, I'm going to call that out. Um, the tech stack for your brokerage is so important, but it can also be man, it seems like things move so quick. And um, at least uh, looking at brokerage level stuff, it, <laughs> there's been some crazy movement in that world. Right, so right. if you were, if, there, if you had a friend starting his own company, and first of all, I know what you're going to say, because it, he's starting his own small brokerage, <laughs> which you're going to tell him, first of all, don't do that. You're crazy. Yeah, yeah. He really wants step to do two. it. Yeah. yeah. Step two. What are the key pieces of tech he has to get right? Because I'm guessing you made some mistakes along the way. You learned from it. Yeah. How would you help somebody? So the two thoughts I have on this is every big real estate company now wants to be a tech company for their stock valuation. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I know our company's working on some tech and it's great. It's cool. Like, yay. Right. But I don't know that anyone is ever going to, and if anyone is going to do it, it's hard to argue that, that Zillow is not going to capture the buyer business on the tech mm. side. And they're so far ahead of anyone else. So to think that Keller or, or Coldwell or any of these companies are going to kick out some piece of tech that revolutionizes the way people buy homes, I, I think I would probably say Zillow has, they are the Tesla of direct-to-consumer. 
However, for a small brokerage, you have to provide certain aspects of technology to your agents. The, the key components are you need a transaction management system because you're not going to, like the days of someone walking a Manila folder into your office to get paid are over. So you've got to have some sort of, we used the transaction desk for a while. Um, now our company Real has an in-house, but there's a lot that you can, if you're starting a small brokerage, you can go get transaction desk or dot, dot loop or one of these where you can keep your folders intact. Um, you need to have a CRM that you offer people. Um, I believe an essential component of the CRM is IDX search. So uh, Chime, Commissions Inc., you know, they're great options where you can keep your client database intact and you can put them on an IDX search. I personally believe landing page is more important than website. Like JoeTaylorGroup.com is beautiful. Go check it out. Like Curator, our tech partner, has done a wonderful job building it. But does anyone ever just Google like JoeTaylorGroup.com? Probably not. For the most part, people land on a page. Yeah. A, a podcast guy does. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's Yeah. So so clients will land on a page, either an article right. that was written or a property that yep. was advertised or whatever. So I would argue landing pages are more important than a general website. Um, you have to have social. I mean, as a brokerage, you have to be pushing out social content. Um, if you really want to get smart as an indie brokerage, you're going to have green room. You're going to have videographer on site. Mm-hmm. Because agents are going to want to push out content. If you can make it simple for them, you know, like agents on our team, if they have a property they need to shoot, we've got a full-time videographer that goes out on site with them, shoots property, come back, cuts it up, gives them a YouTube video and, and Instagram reels for them to be able to use. So I think those are kind of the essentials. You need to have, you need to have transaction management software. You need to have a CRM. You need to have some sort of website landing page solution. And then you need to be able to answer an agent's, uh, problems or give them technical solutions to social media. Yeah. I like that. I just left the T360 tech summit. It's the first time they ever did one. It was over in California. It's very interesting. The average brokerage has 12.4 tools in their tech stack. That's a lot. That's a lot. lot. So yeah. And uh, very interesting, very interesting conversations revolved around that for the next couple of days. So how do you, how do you, how do you handle that? How do you fix it? And, how do you take something away from somebody? Like if your top producer is using something that nobody else uses, it's kind of tough to take away, right? Well, and I always kind of preach agnosticism as an agent. If you're if you're a team operating at a brokerage, I know how tempting it is to take all of Keller's or or Compass's tools and build your whole stack, but I mean, I'm on the other end of it where people are trying to unwind. They're like, "Dude, yeah. I've been using my Coldwell Banker email address for 10 years and like I don't know how to download all my emails." Just stay agnostic, like keep your tech, your tech. Joe, this has been great. I really appreciate your honesty, your openness. It's great. Uh, I would, I have to ask you the same final question I've asked every guest. And that is what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? The piece of advice I would give them is not to listen to any agent that's been in the business one to four years. (laughs) Because the agents that have been in the business one to four years are jaded and spoiled, and they just don't know. Get yourself a mentor that's been in the business. If you can find someone who lived through the last recession, they mm-hmm. are golden. You know, like Taylor and I, I mean, we, we, we lived through it. We did the REOs. We did the short sales. We helped the Neighborhood Stabilization Program for Barack Obama. We helped the city of Las Vegas buy house. I mean, we, we, we're excited about the future. 
a lot of our agents that have been in the business for three years are just like slamming their head against the wall. They're like, none of my friends are telling me it's time to sell the house I've been in for six months. Like I go to the gym and nobody tells me like, Hey, can you sell me a house? And so you've got to get one of my favorite movies, uh, the Godfather series. If you remember, there was a time where they had to change the, the, the consigliere, right? From a peacetime yep. to a wartime. You need a wartime mentor right now. If you're a brand new agent, you need to link up with somebody who's a wartime mentor, somebody who's been through this before. They know how to get through it this time. They're not freaking out because their friends and family aren't calling them anymore. The number one thing a, a brand new agent can do is find a wartime mentor because that's the type of person that's going to help them get through the next, you know, 18 to 24 months until we get back to a, a growth market. Yeah. That's a great answer. I love that. Um, Joe, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I respond to Instagram messages faster than I do to text messages. So the easiest way to connect with me is at Joe Herrera, H-E-R-R-E-R-A. I'm not super hard to find. I check my messages a hundred times a day. So whenever somebody says, hey, like, like, let me get your contact info. I'm like, just connect with me on Instagram because that's, I pretty much, I've gone all in on Instagram reels and and I'm really uh, trying to make that my number one platform. So that's the easiest way to reach out to me. I love it. Joe, this has been great. Anthony, uh, again, has not let, let me down. Uh, <laughs> a great time chatting with you and, and continued success. It'll be fun to see where, where all of this goes in the next, say, four or five years. It'll be interesting. love it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 